The views and opinions that are expressed in this and future podcasts are not the views coming out of the State Office of African American Affairs and are not the views coming out of any other state agency, including the governor's office. I'm Danny Golden. And I'm Devin Williams. And this is Re-Educated, a podcast brought to you by the New Mexico State Office of African American Affairs. Welcome, everybody, to Re-Educated, a podcast where we're going to rethink, relearn, and get re-educated on many topics concerning the Black community here in the state of New Mexico. The purpose of the podcast is to educate the community on environmental, social, and physical inequities and challenges that Black communities must deal with and what can be done to empower the Black community to help them navigate through the understanding of legislation and policy on a micro and macro level. Welcome, everybody. It is Re-Educated, a podcast where we're going to rethink, relearn, and get re-educated on many topics concerning our Black community here in New Mexico. Before we get started, we just want to say, as always, thank you so much for all of your support. We hope that you like and share this podcast. We want to spread the word, so share us with a friend. What's up, Devin? How are you doing? I'm doing good. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty good, considering, right? Times are crazy. Today, 2020 has been a complete whirlwind full of unexpected craziness, expected craziness, (laughs) all of the above. And we're just now getting into the season finale of 2020, so that's going to (laughs) be very interesting to see how everything turns out. On the season finale of... (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Anyway, so with that being said, we thought that this would be a perfect time to explore a topic that doesn't get enough attention. Mm -hmm. And that topic is mental health and the Black community. And when it comes to mental health, one of the things that just growing up in general, it's been very hard to identify some of the the different challenges that I have when it comes to mental health and being able to put a name to a feeling or a name to an action and Mm -hmm. just really being able to have a holistic understanding of mental health and of like how it essentially affects you, especially at a young age. Right. I think that a good context to put that in is for us to kind of rewind a bit mm-hmm. because like you said, especially when you're young, right? Yeah. But as we know, a lot of mental health challenges can manifest at a young age. Mm-hmm. And at that point in time, you don't always have the language or the skill set to express or articulate what it, you know, what you're going through physically, yeah. mentally, emotionally, and now add to that the economic challenges that we face and the disparities in our health system. Mm-hmm. And you got an explosion of mental illness, you know, waiting to happen and a lack of access to resources. So, yeah. And just to add on to that, we have our history that, especially for Black people, has been very detrimental to mental health in the Black community. Mm-hmm. And so really dealing with and understanding the stressors of our ancestors being enslaved, understanding some of our ancestors having to navigate Jim Crow laws, understanding now we have a little bit more of a system that encompasses Black people, but there's still a lot of challenges Mm -hmm. that Black people inherently have to deal with. And what they're dealing with now on top of 
just the premise of how this society was created and all those different eras that Black people had to live through and overcome that it's just a lot of different things that just from the beginning, just before you're even born, that you already have to deal with. It's, I agree 100% because we talked about in past episodes how those traumas are passed through our DNA. Mm-hmm. Those those traumas and those experiences are passed down. But I would like to know, and I think this is going to come up later, that we're not, it's not that we're predisposed, you know, to dealing with these issues mm-hmm. any more than any other group. Yeah. It's just that our experiences and our history is different, which does have an impact on us today and in the future. Yeah, definitely. And there's multiple sides to a dice. You have all these different groups that experience different things. And just to highlight what you said, it's not that other ethnic groups and other cultures didn't experience it. It's just we had a very different experience compared to everybody else. And we're still, we're improving as we continue to learn more about mental health and as we continue to navigate this society. But we still have a long way to go and there's still a lot of different things that we have to address in order to get to where we need to be, especially um, when it comes to mental health. Yeah. And that's outside of our community, right? Mm -hmm. When we're talking about all of society, but when you zoom in and you look at just us and our people in the black community, there tends to be many stigmas Mm -hmm. attached to mental health and mental illness and things that are normal for people to experience. And because of what we go through outside of us, Mm -hmm. I feel like that infiltrates the way that we deal with it within our community. You feel me? Yeah. We have to be so strong out there. And so within our community, that's how we raise each other. That's how we, we raise our kids. It's like, you have to be strong, right? Like, don't let them see you cry and all of those things, like to a certain extent. Yes, we you do want to teach your children resilience and, uh, you know, self-reliance and resourcefulness and all of those things. Right. But there is a certain point where it's just you deal with things It's biology. You may have trauma. You may experience trauma in your life. You may, you know, some things are genetic, mm-hmm. you know, some conditions are genetic, um, but we got to talk about that, you know what I mean? And how we peel away that stigma from this issue so that we can allow ourselves to gain the access to the healing that we need. Yeah, I definitely agree. And just to expand on the biological side of mental health and mental illness, a lot of people think that just because we're Black, we're born with mental illnesses or we're already more mentally challenged or we're already dealing with more biological mental health issues Mm -hmm. versus our white counterparts and some of the other ethnic groups. And essentially, like we said, in all the other topics, we're human. We're all human. We all have our different aspects because of, you know, our cultures and the regions that we came from, but we're all human. And so black people have a lot of different stressors that play into the mental health issues that they develop as they're growing up. And so the different cultural groups and black people in particular, 
I always say we don't have an embassy behind us. And so specifically mm-hmm. when it comes to the U.S., we have all these different challenges where we can't go to certain places for support. So you're dealing with not only law enforcement abuse, you're also dealing with economic disparities. You're also dealing with access to health care. You're also dealing with when you're in these certain settings, like in the healthcare system, discrimination when you're dealing with that, you're dealing with the lack of employment, you're dealing with being targeted for certain things when other ethnic groups aren't being targeted. And so that all plays into why Black people need that support when it comes to Black mental health, because we have all these um, outside issues that are affecting our mental state. Yeah, it's important to point out that you said it's, it's not just that the access is revoked or restricted. Mm-hmm. It's that there's an active attack and an overt attack on a group of people. And that, we can't argue that. But please don't step to me trying to have that argument <laughs> because there's it's plenty of evidence. We can all see it. It's plain as day. Mm-hmm. We've got the numbers and the research and everything like that. But if you live, especially you live in this country and you got two eyes, Boo, you can see it. <laughs> it's it really is the disparity is real. Yeah, definitely. And again, there's so many different stressors that play into why we're dealing with these disparities, like family life, especially in New Mexico. You don't see a lot of black people. You don't see a lot of black families. You don't see a lot of people that look like you when you're black. And so that in and of itself is a very big stressor for figuring out things, being able to talk to somebody that looks like you, being able to really connect with somebody that is also Black, as well as the environment that you're living in. You know, you have these certain pockets that Black people and minorities are living in, and we're going to talk more about it when we talk about the aspects of housing in New Mexico, but we essentially are in certain areas that are not necessarily or weren't necessarily given a lot of resources in order to be able to thrive. And so now we're in this state of tertiary care to where Mm -hmm. we've already messed up these communities. Now we got to do these, not necessarily pseudo attempts, but... um, They're like bandages. They're not real fixes or they're not really addressing the foundational issues. It's just like, let me slap this on there, throw a few dollars and... Hopefully y'all will be all right. But as we can see, that's not enough. Exactly. And we also got to look at black mental health professionals as well as when you're dealing with somebody who doesn't look like you, if you're not in that community, it's going to be hard for you to really tailor the support the right way. It's the same thing with law enforcement. You don't have to necessarily be black, but if you're not in these black communities, you don't understand the issues and the challenges that black people deal with, then you can't give the care that you need for that or the support that you need for that individuals that's seeking that mental health support. Right. We talked about that with law enforcement and having the cultural training that's necessary. But even that, to a certain extent, doesn't quite cut it all the time. Sometimes mm-hmm. you just need that person that can really feel on a a very deep-seated and visceral level what it's like to live a day looking like you, mm-hmm. you know, and experiencing 
life the way that you experienced it and the challenges that you experienced. Yeah, definitely. And one of the things that's very difficult is not only for these big cities in New Mexico, having Albuquerque and Las Cruces and the Hobbs that have big pockets of black people, but we also got to look at those. Relatively big. Yeah, rel- <laughs> <laughs> relatively big. Bigger. Bigger. <laughs> pockets of black people. Yeah, but yeah. we also got to look at these small cities where they don't really have any black people. It might be um, less than 1% or, you know, 0.5 or, you know, it's just... Right. For those individuals in those cities, they really need that support because they don't have anybody that they can go to where they look like them. And for me, one of the things that I had a hard time with just adjusting is I'm from Dallas. And so that's a there's a lot of black people and I always just walk around and I went and I was living and going to school in one of those communities where all it is is black people. Mm -hmm. And so for me. I grew up a lot different in the sense of I had this community where I felt comfortable enough to be able to be myself and be able to thrive and not saying you can't thrive in other communities, but when you're not in an environment where there's people who look like you, sometimes it can be a lot more difficult to be able to thrive or to be able to navigate. Absolutely. I agree 100%. One of the things that also contributes to not necessarily the lack of support for Black people, but the high rates of Black mental health issues is the stigma behind getting help for your mental health. Yeah. A lot of times when you're looking at Black people, there's this stigma of, oh, you just got to be strong. You just have to fight through it. You just have to mm-hmm. toughen up, take it to the chin, all these different things. And it's like, no, I'm dealing with these issues. I need help. I need somebody to talk to that's a professional and it's it's good to have friends and family that you can confide in but when you don't have these professionals you don't have these individuals who specialize in specifically helping with mental health you're it's going to be hard to really be able to recover dealing with PTSD dealing with all these different external issues and issues and challenges that go on especially in New Mexico. You said especially in New Mexico. And Mm -hmm. I didn't think about how that lack of fundamental sense of belonging Mm -hmm. almost is kind of ripped away when we're in a place where there are so few of us. You know, it's like, where where do you turn? But like you said, it's hard because you can't always deal with these things on your own. And we moved forward and talked about the stigma. What's so powerful about that is that we experience it from both sides. Mm -hmm. We experience it from white folk and we experience it from black folk, you know, because like we talked about earlier, it's it's designed that way, almost in a sense, like let me mentally handicap all of you and then you'll eventually do it for me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and and not that we do that to each other intentionally. It's just that, like we talked about, it's it's that toughness that we've had to build from from what we've been through through the generations. I know I I actually came up in a, a little bit of a different household. I, I kind of was exposed to, um, you know, different folks in my family. Mm-hmm. I had dealt with different mental health challenges. And so 
very early on, I remember hearing about depression and anxiety and uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, some of the more common challenges that people face Mm -hmm. when it comes to mental health. And I think that even just hearing some of that verbiage, even if no one was talking to me about it or I didn't have all of the backstory of the info of what uncle, you know, uncle Harry was dealing Mm -hmm. with or what grandma was dealing with, just hearing those words and it just, it strips the like shame away to a certain extent because you say it out loud. I think that when we are just like, no, I don't talk about, they, they're not, they're not depressed. They just need to be stronger. Mm -hmm. We're not going to talk about that, you know? And I think a lot of people can relate. I don't know how, how was it with you growing up where did you ever hear that type of terminology and that type of rhetoric surrounding mental health? Yeah, no, never. I, Mm. when, when I was growing up, it was great being in a community where I saw people like myself, but Mm -hmm. when you have the stigma of needing support for mental health, Mm -hmm. then you tend to get targeted and marginalized within your own community Mm -hmm. for needing or seeking mental health support. Yeah. And so myself, as well as um, some other individuals that I observed, they would deal with being antagonized, being made fun of, having cruel and unusual things that were said to them just because the individuals who were saying those things, they probably needed that mental health support too, or they're dealing with their own issues and their own challenges. And so they would essentially portray what they're dealing with onto you. Yeah, projecting that. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things that I had to deal with pretty much growing up Mm -hmm. until I left Texas, just dealing with those certain stigmas and dealing with individuals who, when you are seeking or when you're needing additional support, Mm -hmm. will essentially make fun of it just to appear a certain way in society. That obviously happens as a whole, right? As a society. But I think it's just magnified in our society because of that burden of Mm -hmm. having to be so strong all the time, right? And then also the other stereotypes that are attached to us Mm -hmm. from society. You know, it's just those stereotypes that we just, the only things that we're good at are sports and this and that, Mm -hmm. or, you know, all of those stereotypes can play into how we approach mental health. Yeah, definitely. And essentially when you're looking back at that time, so that was around the... uh, around 2010, 2012 that I was dealing with that. Even though I dealt with that and that was a very big issue, especially dealing with my community, I can say it was a different climate then, uh, and specifically when you're looking at Dallas, but also um, when you look at the whole U.S. And now, specifically when it comes to the Black community, we've made strides in making it more acceptable to Mm -hmm. seek black mental health support and to be able to acknowledge that, hey, I'm not okay, or I don't have to act like, or I don't have to give on this persona of being stronger than I actually am. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to cry. It's okay Mm -hmm. to be transparent in the actual way that you feel versus even though we still have to and continuously do have to code switch Mm -hmm. being in certain environments, it's not as prevalent as it used to be back in the day. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think it helps, too, that we have all of these, not public health, but 
we have all of these public figures Mm -hmm. coming out and saying, hey, I deal with this condition. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm bipolar or I struggle with depression or I, you know what I mean? And I, I think that just seeing someone that's, you know, doesn't matter how much success you have, it doesn't matter, you know, what tax bracket you're in, those problems can still exist. And I think that makes it, we're just really moving towards a, a place I feel like as a whole where it's just more acceptable to to talk about it. And I think you and I are kind of on like the back end of that generation. Mm-hmm. I would say that our parents' generation was definitely that generation where oh, yeah. you just didn't talk about it. I know that you had your experiences, but I think that as a whole, our generation, maybe you disagree, maybe not. <laughs> it's a little bit better than the previous generation. Yeah. You know, it, it gets a little bit better over time when it comes to talking about it and being open about it. And then once you cross that bridge, (laughs) now you got to get to the bridge of, okay, who do I go to? How do I get access? Does my insurance cover it all? And now we've just opened up a Pandora's box of, of challenges when it comes to accessing mental health resources. Yeah, definitely. I do agree that our generation has been able to make strides in, being more open and being more honest and being able to acknowledge that, hey, we're not okay. Again, we're not these invincible beasts that people think we are. Like, we're vulnerable human beings. And yes, like, to a certain extent, sometimes you do have to be a little bit stronger to get through times, but that doesn't mean that you can't have moments of vulnerability or you can't have times where you acknowledge like this is hard or Mm -hmm. I need help getting through this. And I think our generation, like you're saying, we're essentially able to break a certain barrier and push through to be able to get to a next level. Mm -hmm. Now, again, we are looking at being able to have access or more reliable access to these resources and enhancing the resources that are there that aren't necessarily in the black community, essentially by providing cultural competency training and Mm -hmm. having these individuals submerged in the black community and really understanding the issues and the challenges that black people go through. But again, we've made strides in just being able to say, I need help. Yeah, for sure. For sure. To speak to your point about access, part of the way to open up that access is to make sure that there are more black mental health professionals. Mm -hmm. And I think we can't go without saying that access to good education Mm -hmm. and things like that will ultimately lead to there being more black healthcare professionals, you know, so it's all it's all really intertwined. Um, very intricately, mm-hmm. all of these issues relate to one another on some level or another. Yeah. You know? No, and I definitely agree with that. And when you look at access and availability, specifically with New Mexico, just in Albuquerque, and I've heard other people in different cities and counties talk about their experiences, but from what I've seen, there's not really too many Black mental health professionals that are out here. And I know that we're looking at really finding more access and identifying more individuals that are available. I know 
Tim York uh, in Las Cruces mm-hmm. has done a great job of compiling a list a list of black mental health professionals just to help with the individuals out there. But we, again, have to really target black people in the sense of bringing them into the profession and mm-hmm. really having them be able to help other individuals because mm-hmm. we've been through a lot and just through the challenges and just through the trials and tribulations that black people have had to overcome and just looking at our history, there's a richness to the support that we might be able to provide, not only to other black people because we need to see people like us, but to other ethnic and minority groups. Yeah, I think we have an edge up on that. I mm-hmm. I definitely will agree with that a thousand percent because we, being black people in this country, they don't have to learn all about us. They're not forced mm-hmm. to because they, they steal you know, little bits from here and there and then make it a part of like the mainstream pop culture. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so we're, we know about, you know, we do their hair, we know their music, we know, you know, but do they know as much about our experiences and our, where we come from and our culture and things, our true culture, not just, you know, Mm -hmm. the aspects of our culture that they appropriate. You feel me? Like it's, it's such a, it's so imbalanced. There's such a one way relationship where, yeah, I think that that's, that's a part of the problem, but I like the way that you put that, that we do have a richness because we're, in a lot of ways, like we, we just get all people. Mm -hmm. And I think that does come somewhat from like our struggle, just like we can identify with anybody that's struggling. And I think I have a wonderful mental health (laughs) specialist, my therapist I've been with since shoot 2015. I've been seeing her and she's wonderful. I mean, I love this lady. She got me through some crazy stuff. Mm. (laughs) Right. But I do sometimes wonder how I would be impacted or how my healing experience and journey would be different if she were someone that could identify with me as a black woman. Mm -hmm. I do think about that. I would be remiss. I would be lying if I said that I didn't think about that, you know? Yeah, definitely. And to that point, well, when you look at our society and the U.S. as a whole, we're all essentially victims of a system that was created just for uh, white people to thrive. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at different ethnic groups and specifically black people, there's two things that we have to do. One, we have to learn all aspects, not only of the system and white culture and other cultures, but black culture. We're relearning the culture that has been taken from us through slavery. Mm -hmm. And so we have to have a holistic understanding of how this society works. Number two, being that this is a a Eurocentric society with the premise when it comes to education along with a lot of other things, we have to work just as black people, we have to work two times as hard just to get to the bare minimum a lot of times. So we essentially have to we have to fly to do the white man's walk. That's a good way of putting it, definitely. We got to work extra hard. And that can be especially problematic when it comes to everything, but especially mental health. Mm -hmm. Because that's the one place where you're vulnerable, you know? And 
we're not only dealing with the outside, we keep talking about what society and our history and all those things. What about just like having a stressful day at work, a re- mm-hmm. you know, having a really stressful profession or a mom who has had children and has been dealing with postpartum depression or family member who's taking care of other ill family members that puts a lot of mental stress and fatigue on that person. Mm-hmm. Like normal things, right? Yeah. That everybody deal with. Like we got to deal with the societal stuff that's put placed on our backs. But then at the end of the day, like you said, we're all human. So we all live our lives. We all have our jobs and have our social circles mm-hmm. that cause us, you know, stress, anxiety. We we have our traumas, you know, we, we experience abuse a lot of times at a higher rate. Then, you know, I know when it comes to um, physical abuse, sexual abuse, different things of that nature, unfortunately, we are survivors of that all too often, Mm -hmm. you know. So I just want to point that out. It's twofold for us, right? We have everything that's going on in the world Mm -hmm. that would traumatize anyone, especially in 2020. Exactly. But then we just have everyday life to deal with. And I think that's really was that chasm there with that generation before us Mm -hmm. where they're like, I had to march and I had one pair of shoes and Mm -hmm. I marched for 50 miles and I had holes in my shoes at the end and I had to deal with the the dogs bite me and the this and the that. And it almost minimalizes what we're dealing with, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes because it's like, oh, you just had a panic attack at your job, but like that's worth getting help for. And it's not any less like maybe dramatic in the terms that I just put it, but it's still worth getting help. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. And I think just a combination of all those things plays into, like we were saying before, the richness that comes from Black professionals, specifically when it comes to mental health. Mm-hmm. But speaking of 2020, let's talk about the climate of where we are right now. And so we have all these things that we just mentioned mm-hmm. when it comes to mental health in terms of the stressors, the indicators for mental health, the history of it. But let's also talk about where we are right now during COVID-19 times. I've definitely had to... Shut off all my notifications from my news apps. Take hiatuses from my social media accounts. Mm -hmm. I've definitely found myself in a space where I had to, for the sake of my sanity, Mm -hmm. just do a hard cutoff. Because that is the time that we're living in. We're living in a time of a huge reckoning Mm -hmm. with race in this country. and. We're dealing with a hugely divided country. No matter what side you're on, you can pretty much see that that electoral map is split right down the middle. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that that's stressful and it's scary, not to mention the pandemic that we're dealing oh, with. Yeah. I get stressed out when I like hop out of my car and I'm like, oh, shoot, I forgot my mask. <laughs> you know, like. Things that we didn't have to think about in 2018, 2019. Yeah. Now it's like that. And because that causes you social anxiety. There's mm-hmm. this whole other social. Now we're in a time where we can't even like see people's body language fully and read people's nonverbal 
signaling and communication. And we are seeing black people killed every day. Yeah. Just video after video. I mean, the list goes on and on. Oh, yeah. We know what the list is. We, we're living in this year where, you know, we lost some amazing figures in our community. Mm-hmm. I think that people kind of glaze over, you know, yeah. like we lost Kobe and mm. Black Panther in one year. That's rough. One could say, oh, they were just like an actor. They were just this. But these are big events. Oh, yeah. And these are, I know that this year there's some people that are really needing to talk to somebody mm-hmm. and they're not being able to. And that makes me so sad. It makes me so sad. We got to do something about that. Oh, yeah. You know, and I think part of that, I feel fortunate that we have this platform because part of it is just talking about it. Part of it's just having the conversation at all Mm -hmm. and normalizing talking about mental illness and mental wellness. Mm -hmm. You know, we do talk a lot about mental illness, but I think that is something that we do a lot in this country. We talk about you know, illness. Mm -hmm. And just in the same way way that we talk about and approach physical illness, we kind of do the same thing with mental health. Yeah. Instead of putting more of the focus on how we can remain well Mm -hmm. at times, you know, which can also be hard because once again, those disparities Mm. in all of the facets of American life as we know it today. Oh yeah, it's definitely hard and just living in a virtual world now pretty much and that on top of for individuals who are dealing with essentially employment not being able to have their jobs or being fired or laid off just because you're saying people losing their jobs yeah people losing their jobs people not knowing where they're going to get their next check from or you know trying to figure out where they're going to get their next meal or how they're going to survive during a pandemic, trying to stay safe while understanding that they have family that's in the hospital or they have a loved one who's sick or they have somebody who's an elder who they can't see because they have pre-existing conditions. And then you have to deal with the dynamic of you can't see these individuals because you want them to stay healthy, but they want to see you mm. because they're like, I don't know what else to do. I'm by myself, you know? And yeah. it's, it's just a lot of different dynamics and a lot of different aspects that play into the stressors that people deal with. And we essentially have to, like you're saying, normalize mental wellness mm-hmm. and mental health. And even though we do have these issues and these things that bother us and being willing to acknowledge that and being willing to look at the, some of the positive things and some of the things that are going to play into helping you mentally, even though there's so many different things that contribute to it being a very big challenge. Yeah. And I don't want anyone to think that that's what I'm not saying that, Oh, like, Let's not say mental illness. Like, yes, people have their challenges and their illnesses and their diagnoses. I'm saying that you can experience like wellness through just like getting the help. Mm -hmm. Yes, you still have your condition or your challenges that you're facing, but the wellness comes in when you're doing the maintenance, when you're having, you know, you're able to have healthy practices. You're able to have access to healthy food. 
you're able to have access to clean water Mm -hmm. and the basic, you know, human rights to eat and Mm -hmm. to drink clean water. You know, I mean, let's not. And like you said, to have a decent place to live, housing comes into play. If a person is is consuming poison and consuming, you know, all of these fats and and just terrible things, you know, then, yeah, are we saying that that's not going to have an an impact? So it's all connected. Mm -hmm. It really is. Yeah, so. no, definitely. And this, we just have to be active and collaborate as much as we can with one another to help each other out. Yeah. And even though we're social distancing, even though we can't necessarily be in person, which being in person adds a whole different dynamic to establish or not establishing, but addressing mental health and being able to physically be in close proximity with somebody versus mm. seeing them through a screen. We yeah. still have to do our very best to, if we can or when we can, communicate with individuals who we haven't seen in a while. Being able to pick up the phone and say, hey, I haven't talked to you in a minute. I can't see you. How are you doing? Checking up on our friends, checking up on ourselves, just doing those right. little things just to make sure that we're good. Because everything in this world externally is making it harder and harder yeah. to make sure that you're good mentally, especially mm-hmm. for the black community. Yeah, for sure. I think another thing that we can do as far as solutions and prevention and making sure that we remain open about this conversation is watch the way that we're talking about dealing with handling our children in mm-hmm. this day and age, because we have to think about what we didn't hear that we we would have benefited from hearing as children surrounding mm-hmm. mental health. And one thing that I remind myself of is the the children are being impacted too, you know? So we just got to remain open and and make sure that we're paying attention to that, you know, so that we can make sure that next generation has the support that it needs as well. So we're going to hear from our sponsors. We're going to take a quick break. Make sure you stick around with us. We'll catch you in just a bit. Since 1912, Loveless Health System has been committed to meeting the growing healthcare needs of the Albuquerque community. They're invested in bringing people, providers, and technology together to ensure patients receive the best care possible. The vision of African American Student Services, AFRO, is to cultivate Black excellence on the university campus through educational discourse, leadership development, holistic health, wellness practice, and community engagement. The African American Student Services Program at UNM provides culturally relevant programs designed to assist primarily African American Black students in making a confident transition and successful adjustment to the University of New Mexico. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We just heard a word from our sponsors who, again, we want to thank so much for making this platform possible. So on this episode, we've been delving into mental health and the Black community. And typically at this point in the show, we would have a call to action. But we think it's really important to give you some resources because 
like us, many of you are struggling with exactly what we're talking about. And I think it's really, really important that you know that you matter and there are resources out there that can help you out. So one of those resources is BetterHelp and it's an online platform whose mission is making professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient so anyone who struggles with life challenges can get help anytime, anywhere. And the counselors at BetterHelp are licensed, trained, and experienced in accredited psychologists, marriage and family therapists, etc. So you can find somebody who is just right for you by going through some filters and finding somebody that will match up with you. We also have Agora Crisis Center, a center that allows you to, if you're going through anything, whether it be mental health, going through a mental breakdown, or just need somebody to talk to, they will be able to provide you with trained volunteers just to give you an opportunity to express how you're feeling as well as work with you to figure out what needs to be done or what options you have in order to mitigate the challenges that you're dealing with or just to help you be in a better state of mind. Our very last segment is The Glow, where we'll be highlighting individuals and organizations doing great work in our community. For this edition of The Glow, we'd like to shout out Shawnee Harvey with the New Mexico Economic Development Department. The New Mexico Economic Development Department is launching a new mini-series geared towards helping minority-owned businesses. Cabinet Secretary Elisa J. Keyes announced the first episode, Effective Financial Tools for Small Businesses, will launch November 20th, 2020 at 12.30 p.m. Shawnee Harvey, Executive Assistant to Secretary Keyes, designed the miniseries to highlight resources across the state to assist current and future small business owners in navigating their business and financial experience with confidence. Registration info can be found at gonm.biz under the events page. We'd also like to give a special thank you to our post-production partner, BetterSense. Powered by nearly a decade of audio and production experience, BetterSense exists to help you create your life-changing projects. Go to bttrsnc.com in order to explore how you can awaken the potential of your musical ideas. So that brings us to the end of our show. Thank you so much for listening again to the fifth episode of Reeducated. Before you go, I just wanted to leave you with some info. Earlier, Devin and I talked about a couple of resources to help you out. One of those resources was Agora Crisis Center, and you can contact them by phone at 505-277-3013, or you can call them at 855 505 05, all the fives. <laughs> or go to agoracares.org. That's A G O R A cares.org. The other one that I talked about was BetterHelp, and this one's really simple. I'm not going to give you a number. Just go visit their website and you'll see what I'm talking about when it comes to finding the right person for you. They have it all laid out and hundreds of caregivers. So check it out at betterhelp.com. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast, Reeducated. We hope you were able to rethink, relearn, and get reeducated on some really important topics. Make sure to visit us at our website, oaaa.state.com 
www.nm.us. See you next time. Re-educated, brought to you by the New Mexico State Office of African American Affairs. Aimed to study, identify, and provide change by means of support, advocacy, and resources relevant to the African American community. As a reminder, every voice matters. Make sure you are counted in the 2020 Census. The Office of Equity and Inclusion was established by Mayor Tim Keller in 2018. The vision of the office is to inspire and equip city governments to make Albuquerque a national role model of racial equity and social justice. The office is responsible for dismantling systemic barriers to achieve racial, gender, health, and socioeconomic equality. Michelle Melendez is the inaugural director of the Office of Equity and Inclusion. In September, Melendez was instrumental in passing R2075, legislation that strengthens and reaffirms the city's commitment to addressing racial equity and social justice. The resolution calls on the city to support the startup and growth of businesses owned by people of color, women, racial equity assessments for the city department, and requires equity training for the city council leadership and administration.